It is a White Coat Wednesday. Very great pleasure to say good morning to infectious disease specialist, Dr. Zane Chagla, who is on duty today. Nice to have you. Hi. Good morning, John. Okay. So as if we, I always have this thing, I hate doing stories where we say, here's how it could all get worse. But <laughs> apparently we have confirmed cases of dengue, which is a mosquito-borne illness. Uh, is this in cases here in Canada or in the States? In the states, okay, and, and but but these are the first cases that are starting to show up in the states. Really, as long as we've been tracking this disease, so this is a disease that that typically exists in warmer climates where mosquitoes, the particular mosquitoes that transmit this disease, have the ability to breed properly. Um, but we are seeing as temperatures warm up in certain areas of the world that where those mosquitoes can thrive and survive is starting to go more north and, and into areas where we haven't seen. So in Europe, we are seeing mosquito-borne dengue as part of you know disease in southern France and, and southern Italy. But we're starting to see cases in the United States. So a few cases in Florida, in Texas, and now in California, uh, along with Puerto Rico, which is actually more normal for, for transmission. Um, just to say that this may be starting to creep its way here. There are large dengue outbreaks in, in India and Pakistan right now that have been devastating. And so, you know, it's something we have to keep an eye on. It's something that clinicians who work in those areas need to keep an eye on. And uh, unfortunately, we've seen mosquito-borne diseases like West Nile make their way into Canada. So, you know, it's not off the table that this could make its way too. And I imagine an aspect of this is with the climate warming that it uh, a lot of animals and insects are extending the zone that they live in. Yeah, absolutely, right? These these insects do come over. They come over by plane, by by boat, just kind of by human migration, but they often can't make a niche in these environments. As we see climates changing, uh, that does mean that they can establish their niche, which means that people who don't leave those areas can can be infected with these mosquitoes. And um, that means that, you know, forward transmission can occur and, and really can, can take root in certain areas of the world that aren't considered high-risk areas like Florida, return travelers from Florida. We don't think about dengue, but we may have to start thinking about dengue at some point. Super. A friend of mine with Parkinson's disease actually had a brain implant that's kind of like a pacemaker. Now, today you have word of a spinal cord implant that could help Parkinson's patients. Yeah, so this is really exciting. I mean, I think we think about neural devices and, and Elon Musk and all that stuff in that department. But but realistically, these are real devices that are making changes in individuals. So you mentioned your friend with a, a deep brain stimulator that helps. One of the issues with Parkinson's is stiffness and particularly stiffness with walking. And so even with good deep brain stimulation with medications, this can still be an issue for individuals. So this individual who had significant stiffness that was limiting their mobility had an implant actually placed in their spine, uh, looking at certain pathways that really helped with the movement of their legs. Um, and, you know, this individual who was really, really debilitated was actually able to walk, you know, even walk um, yards and miles after this was completed. So, you know, really good progress in this domain. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the Parkinson's is gone or anything along those lines, but, you know, being able to maintain mobility, being able to maintain independence, really, really important and, and a really good proof of concept that, that these stimulators can do more than just uh, than deal with uh, deep brain stimulation. They can actually deal with particular distressing symptoms that can, again, keep people independent as long as they can. Now, as you know, our usual medical correspondent is Dr. Mitch Shulman, and he's brought a few stories to us over the last months about how long COVID may be linked to aspects of your biome or your gut. And now, apparently, some diets might help manage 
manage long COVID. So that just kind of confirms it all over again. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we think of long COVID as a, the end of a different number of different pathways, inflammation and, uh, and you know, and and, contro- and uncontrolled viral spread in, in certain contexts. Um, but, you know, that inflammatory component may have roots in the gut. And, and again, diet may be one way to treat it. So there's lots of work being done on some of the diets we see today, like the Mediterranean diet, the ketogenic diet, a low sugar diet, really looking at those anti-inflammatory properties within those diets and seeing if they enhance symptoms. There's actually work being done in randomized clinical trials, which is the gold standard. Uh, and so, you know, as, as part of the therapy for these individuals who are suffering, if we can come up with dietary interventions that can modify symptoms, there's proof of concept in other post-viral chronic fatigue syndromes that diet does play a significant role. Um, we hopefully can get to a multifaceted approach that that really you know gets to recovery of these individuals and and uses the tools that they deal with in day-to-day life do you suspect that and maybe you already can confirm this uh, that as a result of covid we're going to be expanding a whole bunch of our knowledge in the world of of medicine that you know we tried so many things to fight it we learned so many things about how it lasts how it affects whatever that you know and then one day maybe that impacts research on aids or cancer yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because this is the virus that we've tracked, and this is the first virus that we've tracked really th- spread through the human population and, and really systematically, right? We always suspected there are certain autoimmune diseases, there are certain post-viral syndromes, there are certain phenomenon that, are you, that may be a post-viral trigger, but we never were able to prove it. And I think we're learning about this now, you know, not to say that COVID is, is novel. There are some things that are novel about it, but, you know, a lot of these rare consequences that we see post-infection are probably things that have been happening post-infection with influenza, with the common cold, with other viral infections. We just don't test for them. So we never really had that temporal agreement to, to, to make that diagnosis appropriately. So absolutely, I think we're learning a lot more about what viruses can do in, in post-viral syndromes and how our common non-infectious diseases are linked to infectious diseases. Uh, and hopefully that really generates a, a lot of work in terms of therapeutics and, and diagnostics that that really you know look at the root of these diseases a bit better. We're talking with infectious disease expert Dr. Zane Chagla on White Coat Wednesday. One last story and ouch, this hurts. Disturbed sleep makes everything hurt more. And of course, being hurt probably disturbs your sleep. Yeah, I mean, I think we we all experience this, right? You know, if we're underslept, the littlest things, you know, uh, uh, really make us angry, and, and you know, stubbing our toe just feels that much worse. But you know, looking at at animal models, we see this where where certain receptors in sleep-deprived mice uh, are, are upregulated and those those transmitters that really are associated with pain uh, really start becoming overexpressed. And so, you know, this this really does have implications. Obviously, if the individual getting a good night's sleep is important, but we also see that chronic pain uh, tends to be associated with uh, other uh, disorders like depression and uh, and other psychiatric disorders. And again, you know, this really does introduce sleep as a concept in these disorders, making sure that that's appropriate, but also, you know, new ways to modulate pain in, in terms of modulating sleep in that way. And so really exciting and really cool work. Um, and hopefully, again, leads to uh, a great improvement in people suffering from chronic pain and, and using, again, sleep as a target to really get them under control. Thanks a lot for this. Really appreciate it this morning. 
No problem. All the best. That is Hamilton infectious disease expert, Dr. Zane Chagla.